Well, it is such a privilege for me to be here today. I, uh, we feel such a kinship with this church. And I just, I love your pastor. We play basketball twice a week, and I try to get him on my team every time. <laughs> Would you mind standing together in honor of God's word? If you have a Bible with you, turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 13. First Chronicles chapter 13 and verse 1. Then David consulted with the captains of the thousands and the hundreds, even with every leader. David said to all the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you and if it is from the Lord our God, let us send everywhere to our kinsmen who remain in all the land of Israel, also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their cities with pasture lands, that they may meet with us. And let us bring back the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. Would you please pray with me? Lord, David could not make this decision by himself. He consulted every leader. The people with one heart needed to want the ark. And I pray today, God, that you would do something in each of our hearts. Father, I pray that you would hear the voice of this people crying out for more of you, more of your presence, more of what only you can do. God, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I've entitled the, the message today, A Place for His Presence. The context of, of uh, the text that we read is they have just recaptured Jerusalem. The two, Israel and Judah, have come back together. And this is kind of David's inauguration speech. And it's a very interesting speech because... It is not about uh, we're going to have less taxes or we're going to take more kingdoms or we're going to do this or we're going to do that. He's only got one thing in his whole speech. Here's the one thing on his agenda, the one thing that he's about. In the days of Saul, we did not seek the ark. Let's bring the ark back. He had pitched a tent, a place for the ark of God. Briefly, what, what did the ark represent? The ark was the place that God's manifest presence, his glory rested all the time. It was the only place. God is everywhere omnipresent, so he's, he's at all places at once, but sometimes he manifests his presence, and he manifested his presence many different places and times in the Old Testament, but there's only one place where he's always manifest. His glory rested upon the ark. It is why the temple, the tabernacle was built. 
The tabernacle uh, and all those instructions given to Moses on the mountain, and, and we always wonder, you're reading through Exodus, and why, why do we have to have chapter on chapter on chapter on chapter about exactly how to make the tabernacle? Well, the reason why is because the tabernacle was going to be a place for his presence, a place for the, the whole purpose of the tabernacle is it housed the ark of God, the manifest glory of God on earth. The temple really is just a, is modeled after the tabernacle. Once again, the main purpose is to house the very manifest continual presence of Almighty God, a place for his presence. How can we individually be a place of his presence? How can we corporately? How can a church become a church that truly houses the manifest presence and glory of God? I've only got two points today. Number one, recognize that God's presence is the main event. Recognize that God's presence is the main event. God made David king. He said, why? I've looked for a man after my own heart. A man that chases after me. a a, A man that values most what I value most. And this was David. You want to hear David's dream? David's dream was not being king. That was just an assignment that he had, that he needed to do. Here's his dream, Psalm 27:4. One thing have I, desire, have I desired, and that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord. That's, that's a way of saying in the presence of the Lord, because that's, that's how the presence of God was housed back then. It's in the temple. That I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. The main event is God himself, God's presence. One reason why we know that this was the highest value to David, this is not just words, is what happened when he sinned. After David had committed adultery and murder, and it was all horrible, it was all bad, and in Psalm 51, we have the actual prayer that he prays to God, asking for God's forgiveness. And it is a very interesting prayer in Psalm 51, because what's not in there is God, please God. You know how much I love being king. Please, whatever happens, keep me as king. Lord, you know I love living in this castle. Please, God, whatever else happens, help me hold on to the castle. You know I love my wives. You know I love my... There's none of that in there. David, who is at risk of losing everything, he only asks for one thing. Dear God, do not cast me. From your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. The presence of God was everything to David. 
restore to me the joy of your salvation. David knew that real joy does not come from stuff. It doesn't come from positions. He's the one that wrote in Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy. Restore to me, God, the joy of your salvation. God's presence is the main event. The church today needs above and beyond all things the actual presence of God. Before I came back to, before my family came back to Madison, we were in Montevideo, Minnesota, and we had been there for 11 years. When we first went there in 1996, the church had been through a horrible, horrible splitting and breaking. And it had all started with uh, the youth pastor had done something that some people felt was questionable, and, and pretty soon there was a campaign to get rid of the youth pastor. And uh, it's horrible. It's horrible what happens in a church when suspicion gets in. And it's even worse when it's a charismatic church because it's not just I disagree, but God told me that, that it's supposed to be like this and God this and God that. And and, and so first they got rid of the youth pastor, then they got rid of the senior pastor, and, and there, there was a splitting and a breaking, and it, were, it was so horrible. And oftentimes what adults do not realize as they take their stand and they voice their suspicions and they can't da-da-da-da-da, sometimes adults don't realize that their, their kids are watching, the teenagers are watching. You think the teenagers don't pay attention? Uh, teenagers know what's going on. And teenagers, they've got nothing invested. It's not the tradition, or they don't care what the tradition is. They want something that's real. And when they see mom and dad saying one thing and worshiping like this, and then investing themselves in suspicion and gossip, and it, it become, everything just becomes very, uh, I don't want anything to do with that. And so what had happened, the youth group in that church actually stopped meeting. I came and that the, the, the teens that were the older teens in that group during that split, none of them wanted to come back and get married in that church. It's just absolutely heartbreaking. And so we, we said we would come. We, we had accepted the call, but I, I had a condition. I said, before we come, I want to meet with the teenagers. Alice and I are going to go down there, and we're going down there. It was four hours to go from where we were to get to Montevideo. We're coming down just to meet with the teens. And uh, so we were on our way down there, and I knew the, 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 the heartbreak and the breaking and the... And, and we, were, we were crying out to God, and, we, and here, here's what we prayed. Lord... Would you do something in our midst tonight that only you could do? Lord, these kids have seen man. They've seen the manipulations. They've seen the agendas. They've seen everything that man has done. God, would you, do, would you this was the word I used, would you surprise us 
Would you surprise us? Surprise these young people in our midst. <laughs> what happened in that meeting? I just want to I just want to say, I've never, I don't, I don't usually get prayers answered this quickly or this extraordinarily as I did that night. But here's what happened in that meeting. We were, uh, we started with pizza. You always got to get on the good side of teenagers. You, get, you feed them pizza, feed them anything, actually. Um, <laughs> we had about 25 kids gathered. And we had pizza, and I had purpose. I brought my guitar, I had a message, I had my Bible, but I had purposed. If they're not there, then we're not going there. Uh, I'm just, we're just going to talk and find out where these kids are, find out what is going on in their hearts. And I was so pleasantly surprised. This was, of course, the younger group. And because uh, it's a couple of years since the split, it's a, it's a younger group. And, and they're actually very hungry for God and for God to do something. And so we, we go ahead and have a few worship songs and and I preached a message on uh, David and Goliath and about the difference between all of Israel and David as David had been anointed by the Holy Spirit and that's why he wasn't afraid and that's why he could take on Goliath. And so the, the altar call was, um, you would like to be anointed. As a young person, you want to be anointed. And we had 25 kids there and probably, I don't know, maybe 12 came forward in the, in the front of this youth center, and, they, and without me saying anything, they just kneeled. There were 12 of them, and they were just kneeling in the front. And now little did I know that one friend, or one kid in the youth group, had brought a friend. And this friend didn't know anything about anything, and he just happened to come along that night. Well, he had also come up for the altar call, and in fact, he was the first kid that I was going to pray for. But I had no idea who this kid was or who was in the youth group or out of the youth group. So I'm just, I'm going to go down the line and I'm going to have a prayer for each one of these kids. And I pray for the first kid. And I just, I go to touch him on the head and he passes out. Folks, I, I have seen people like get woozy and fall over because of the presence of God. This is not that. I touched him and he just collapses. It's, fright it's frightening. And he's just laying there. I, I don't know what to do. I'm just moving on. I pray for, I'm, I'm praying for, for kid number two and, and somebody's tugging on my, my sleeve and, and uh, a, kid, a kid says, uh, what happened to him? <laughs> and I say, uh, I say, buddy, I said, I said, don't worry about it. I, I said, God, God's doing something with him. And in my mind, I am saying this to the Lord. Oh, dear God in heaven, please be doing something in that kid. Please, please. So I move on to the next person. And every, every person I'm praying for, I'm looking back to see if there's any movement at all. I'm, I'm here, and, and now I, I'm, I'm moving down the line. I don't even know what I'm praying anymore because now there is a crowd. Everybody is around this kid because he has not moved. 
By the time I'm praying for the last person, I am, I am seeing headlines in the local paper. <laughs> Pastor kills teenager. Teenager dies at church. So I, I get done. I go back over there. Whole group is now, and no, there's nobody watching anything. Everybody is around this kid who has not stirred. So I get down on one knee next to him. Hey, hey, buddy. What's happening? I was so excited when he moved his mouth. He says, the Lord's talking to me. This is so good. What's he saying? He's telling me that he loves me. I said, buddy, have you ever given your life to Christ? Have you ever had your sins forgiven and, 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 given, and accepted Jesus into your life? He said, no. You want to do that right now? Yeah. And so with this whole youth group, we led this young man to Christ. We came down to that church two months later, and immediately a revival broke out in the youth. It lasted for about the next six months. It was an absolute amazing move of God. Now, I, wanna, I want you just for a moment to to come back from that youth center. And I want you to see not just uh, Minnesota, but I want you to see the whole United States. What do we need in the United States? I will make the argument that the greatest need of the United States is, is not political or some law we're going to pass. We need a genuine, heaven-sent revival. Christianity is losing ground in the United States. Cynicism is on the rise. There, it's, it's, there is so much suspicion, there, and, and frankly, a lot of it's our fault. There's been so much man. There's been so much of man's manipulations and, and this and that, and, and, and there's been so much us. And what this country needs to see, they need to be surprised again by God. They need something to happen in the church that can only be explained by God, that God was in the house, that God was doing something that no man could do. All right, point two. Recognize that the choice is yours. It won't be commanded. This is so critical. David says, in the days of Saul, we did not seek for it. Saul reigned for 40 years. 
And it is not that there wasn't religion in the days of Saul. It wasn't that people didn't call on God. Saul had many prayers answered himself. It wasn't that there was, was not religious activity. It's just that Saul, it just wasn't on his heart to bring the ark in. It wasn't on his heart to make a place for the presence of God. And there was, there's no command anywhere for Saul to do that. It just wasn't in his heart, so it didn't get done all the days of Saul. It's, it's so critical to understand this about God. Look at, uh, look at Moses, Exodus 33. The chapter starts, God says this, they're, they're going to go into the promised land. And God says to Moses, um, I am taking you in, and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm sending an angel before you. And you're going to have the land of milk and honey. You're going to have all of my blessings. You're going to have everything I promise. But God specifically says this to Moses, I'm not going with you. I am not going. And Moses prays this to God. Exodus 33, 15 and 16. If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? God says, I'm I'm sending an angel. I'm not going myself. And Moses says this back. You don't go, I'm not going. There's nothing else that distinguishes us from all the rest of the people on the face of the earth. And I think something got excited in the heart of God. Moses says, if if I have found favor with you, then show me your glory. (laughs) And God's like, I'm going to have to hide you behind a rock, son. But you're going to get what you've asked for. Laodicea. This is Revelation chapter 3. Because you say I am rich and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you might become rich. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. This is very, very important because now we're not in the Old Testament, we're in the New Testament. Jesus has already died. When Jesus died on the cross, he had shed his blood, he had suffered, he had said, it is finished. He released his spirit. And this is what the Bible says in in Matthew chapter 27. At that moment, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. The the veil represented this, it represented sin that was separating people from the presence of God. And there was nothing, the reason why it was torn from the top down is, the the picture is, is that nobody could tear it. No one could remove the veil of sin from the bottom up. Nobody down here, by no religion, by no good work, by no morality, there's nothing that man could do to remove the veil that sin had caused between us and God. 
But even though sin separates us from the presence of God, it never ever separated us from the heart of God and from His love for people. And so what God did is He sent His Son, who on that cross, the Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin. He took on your sin, my sin, the sins of the whole world. He took the punishment that was due us on Himself. He shed His blood, and when He said, it is finished, folks, it is finished. The payment has been made for your sin and mine. Isn't that wonderful news? But He didn't just die so that we could be forgiven. He didn't just, He didn't die so that one day we could go to heaven. He died so that you and I could live in the very presence of God. The manifest glory of God, when, when that veil was torn, was now available for all mankind. Not in a building, but in Christ. So here we are. It's years later. The risen Christ has appeared to the Apostle John, and he's, he's talking about this, these seven churches that are really our representative churches of, of the church. And here's a church in Laodicea who, they are the church. They're born again. They've got Jesus living in their hearts. They've got, you can't have Jesus in your heart without having the Holy Spirit. So at some measure, they are born again and have the Holy Spirit. Yet the risen Christ pictures himself on the outside, knocking. And he says to them, you guys have become complacent and you've become self-satisfied and you have, you have, you have said this, I, I don't need anything more. And here's the, the reality, and this is, this is a sobering reality. If you can live individually without the manifestation present, manifest presence of God, you will. If you can adjust your life, if you can adjust your Christianity around doing it without God actually being on site and manifest in your life and in your heart, then that's what you'll have. And here's the other tragic reality. If a church decides, actually they don't have to decide it, but they just learn how to do church without His presence. Learn how to, to keep the machinery running without ever needing the presence of God to be there. If, if you can do it without Him, you will. His presence is of such value to Him that He will not command people to seek it. He will advise you. Jesus advises this church. Listen, He says to the church, let me tell you something. Here's where the good stuff is. I've got gold. I've got myself. I've got uh, robes of righteousness, robes of white to take away your shame. Let me advise you. I am at the door. You need to open up the door and for real let me in. This is his his test for every human being and every church. 
In uh, October of 2009, I had a very vivid dream. And in this dream, um, <laughs> it's a cra crazy dream. I have been commissioned to build the tabernacle. And, uh, but the problem is the tabernacle has been stolen and I am fighting this guy who has stolen the tabernacle. It's, it's this faceless guy and I am wrestling with him and it's not a wrestling match. It's an all a punch, wrestle, scratch, whatever you need to do. And, and we are just going at it. And I just remember I was so exhausted by this battle. And, but finally I elbow him in the head Boom! And he, he, he's knocked out. But I know, I know he's not going to be, he's, he's not going to be down long. But he's down for now. So I go over and, and I grab this suitcase that he has the ark in. Don't, don't ask me any questions about this. Scene one is done. Scene two we have, uh, me with a number of people, we have built the tabernacle. We built this, this massive tabernacle. Once again, I don't understand the suitcase thing. Massive tabernacle, and it's on a pallet. A ship is going to come and is going to pick up the tabernacle, and they are on their way to come and pick this thing up, and we've got the, the tabernacle built, but there is one problem. The ark is not in it. He has hidden the ark somewhere apart from the tabernacle. So I am so nervous that he's going to wake back up. So I am now running around, going through his stuff, trying to find the ark. And I'm, I'm checking his backpack. This is what I remember. I'm going through his backpack. Where is it? And then I get this thought. And I come down to the, the shipping dock, and I pick up the phone, and I call ahead. And I ask if it's possible to pick, out, pick up the tabernacle without the ark. And I get the response, yes, that's fine. We will pick up the tabernacle without the ark. And the way the dream ends is I've, I've hung up the phone. I've, I've received permission that I, we can do it without the ark. And I have this thought. He never, ever, our enemy, he never, ever would have guessed that we would sail without the ark. And I wake up. And it was clearly, to me, it was a God dream, and, and so I'm trying to figure out what it means, and of course, with the prophetic, oftentimes, you jump to conclusions. And so I had my little take on it, and I came and told our staff, and da-da-da-da-da, and um, it turned out that it, that it wasn't even what it meant. I didn't find out what it meant until January 1st of 2010. We were uh, on the strength of this dream about the ark and about the, the ability for a person, a church, to sail without the ark. I, I just purposed that we were going to go down as a family to the One Thing Conference down in Kansas City. And so we went down there, and, and for four days, we were just just soaked in the presence of God. I, I had just purpose. I'm, go, I'm going down there, and th there were renewal meetings going at the time. I, I purpose. I'm not judging anything. I'm not questioning that. I'm just drinking of God for four days. That's, that's all I'm there. If there's something wrong here, God will have to deal with that. With somebody, somebody else can be in charge of that. I'm just going to drink. And for four days, I drank. Went to bed on New Year's Eve, and I woke up 
New Year's Day, 2010, and I knew what the dream meant. Dream had, the dream wasn't about the church. It was about me. It was about me. I had become tired. And in my weariness, I was being very, very tempted to compromise, to compromise the dream. When I came to Madison, in 2007, I was absolutely ablaze for God. Absolutely ablaze for God's purpose, not for a church, but for a region. That God wanted an area-wide revival. He wanted an area-wide outpouring of His Holy Spirit. He wanted to do something in Madison and in this region. How many know if there was a revival in Madison, how many know that that would encourage the whole country? People... Seriously, people, people everywhere would say, oh my, if it can happen in Madison, it can happen our place. <laughs> and honestly, I came in and I, I, was, I was ablaze carrying this vision for revival. And, and I, I don't know exactly all that happened. My, my hunch is twofold. One, I, I thought I was way more spiritual than I was. And two, Madison was way more difficult than I thought it was. But a number of factors happened, and I became very, very tired. The, the, the church I was pastoring at the time, uh, my oh my, I get there, and within weeks, there are people that don't want me there. There are people that don't think that I ever should have come, and we've got, we've got a split going on. I, I went to bed every night. Before I went to bed, I was reading books on the Civil War and how Abraham Lincoln tried to do it in such a way that there would be a union afterwards. I mean, it was, it was just bad. And I got tired spiritually. And, and here's the scary thing about getting tired. I could still talk the talk. I, just like the church at Sardis, you have a reputation that you're alive. Jesus says, it doesn't fake me out at all. You're dead. You, you're running on a reputation. You might have a doctrine of life. You might have a doctrine of being alive. You might have a doctrine of, of God in your midst. But it's not happening. And God will let it happen because he won't force his presence upon anybody. He will give you permission as a Christian to do this without his manifest presence. He'll give you permission as a church at High Point. I, I want to warn you on that one, though. You, you will burn Nick up. If, if this congregation doesn't choose to be a place of his presence, you will burn him up. This is what's happening all over our country right now. His pastors are getting burned out. There's too much on them. There's too much. This is the, the gifted, anointed guy. And, and so we're going to, instead of us really seeking God and going after God, and, and we're going to just have our little king. And we're going to just drink something from his gift and it'll be enough. And, and it, it, it burns pastors out. But you really, before you can choose what the church should do, you got to choose it for yourself. 
I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And I, I've got two groups of people, actually, that I want to pray for. If we could have every head bowed for just a second and eyes closed. Um, here's the first, first group that I would like to pray for. Maybe you're here today, and you're kind of like that teenager that came into that meeting. Uh, you don't know, Jesus. You don't know that you're saved. You don't know that if you died, you would go to heaven. And today, the Lord is here. He will not force himself. He, he gently prods and he knocks, but you, you, you have to be the one to choose him. You have to be the one to choose to be a place of his presence. And, and if that is you today, um, I just want to have a prayer for you. If that is you, would you just raise your hand real high long enough for me to see it and put it back down all over this place? Thank you. God bless you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. God bless you. We're just going to have a prayer. Is there anybody else? You, you need to give your heart to Christ. He died for you. He loves you. Anybody else by upraised hand? Okay. I'd like those that raise their hand just to slip your hand over your heart and just pray something like this in the, the privacy of your heart. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. God, I ask you now to come into my heart to forgive my sins. Lord, I receive your gift of eternal life. Thank you. Thank you for so generously loving me and saving me. In Jesus' name. Then could we stand to our feet? Here's, here's the second group that I want to pray for. <clears throat> you are here today. You are a Christian. But you realize today that you're tired. That somewhere, you know, and you might be able to think of, I compromise here and compromise here, compromise here. But, but what's at the root of compromise often is not that sin was that attractive and I had to watch that pornography or I had to gossip or I had to get bitter. Usually at the root of it is none of those things. At the root of it is I first stopped drinking of God. I first got tired and stopped seeking his presence. And, and without that surprise in our spirits, lesser things start becoming more attractive and we, we get into compromise. So you're here today. You are a Christian, but you've gotten tired and you just, you just want Jesus to renew you today. All, all the church at Laodicea needed to do was just own it. Just own that this is where you are. God never expects people to be on fire for him. He does not expect that. He knows there's no fire in us. He's the fire. All we do is own our coldness and our deadness. All we do, that's the most we can do is own it and say, God, send the fire again. He's the one that breathes on the smoking, smoldering wick and brings it back to a full flame. So if, anyway, if that's you, would you mind just opening your 
arms like this. Uh, you don't have to if you don't want to. But I just call this the receive position. I just want to have a prayer for you. Lord, all over this building right now, you know every circumstance. You know every compromise. You know every weariness. It's interesting to me that we started the day off sing singing about the strength that you will give to the weary. And Lord, we're asking right now for an exchange of strength. God, we give you our weakness. We give you our coldness. We give you our deadness. We own it. Lord, whatever the factors were, sometimes it's just life wars out. We never, ever, ever tried to lose our joy or to lose our strength. It just happened. Life wore us down. And today we're just owning that, God. We're asking you to come and breathe upon us for real, God. Just like those teenagers in Montevideo, they needed something real. They needed more than words. They needed more than somebody telling them that it was better. They needed God to do something. God, would you come and do something for every one of these hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name.